Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Well, welcome to this edition of True Talk, where I'm going to be sharing some things uh, that are really pertinent to uh, singles and, uh, and also to parents. So we'll give a little, we'll, we'll cover the gamut of, uh, of a wide variety of things, and uh, so there should be something here for, for everybody. Uh, all of the single folks, raise your hand, all of the singles. Ooh-wee, my goodness, Wow. 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 Wonderful. Well, let's just begin here. Uh, let me use as, a, as an opening scripture, uh, Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6, a familiar passage. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And uh, I, I just want to deal with some wisdom. Uh, for singles and for parents in this True Talk session. Uh, we all start off as singles and we grow into parents. Uh, those of us who are intended to be, not everybody. But uh, in that verse, you'll notice the word train up, train up. The word train up, it actually descends from a root word which literally means to develop a thirst, to develop a thirst. When you train up a child, it is saying develop a thirst in the person, in the son, in the daughter. Train, develop a thirst in the son or the daughter according to their natural bend. Because so grows the twig, so grows the tree. So you, uh, parents have this uncanny ability of sort of seeing inclinations early in their child's life before the child has figured it out themselves. They'll see a certain kind of a tendency, and then they encourage that. But when it says train up a child, it means to develop a thirst. The old Hebrew midwives would take a, a bowl of crushed dates and put their finger in the crushed dates and then put it in the baby's mouth to stir up or to develop a thirst in that child. You see, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, but you can create a thirst. And that's what we have to do. We have to live our lives in such a way that we create a thirst for people to want to know Jesus, to want to live right. And the question that every parent has to begin to ask themselves, not only for their children, but for their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren, is what can I do to develop a thirst of the right kinds of things in the life of my son, my daughter, my grandson, my granddaughter, my great-grandchild? What can I do to actually develop a thirst. I can't make them do anything, but how can I create a thirst in them? To train up means to develop a thirst. If I develop a thirst for something, I'll automatically do it. You know, my dad told me, he said, once you start working out, he said, your body will start calling for it. You won't feel right unless you do it. So you can actually develop a thirst. He created these habits that he knew that it was going to create a thirst for it because wherever your thirst is, that's where you're going to go. 
There's a reason that Jesus said, blessed are those that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Because if somebody thirsts after, after it, you don't have to force them to get it. You don't have to make them do it. If you thirst, you'll get up because you have the thirst. The thirst drives you into the presence of God. It is the thirst that draws you into the presence of the anointing. It is the thirst. It is the thirst. And so we have to develop a thirst. How do we develop a thirst in, in the hearts of God's people? So to train up means to develop a thirst or to awaken a thirst in the person. How do we awaken a thirst for good things, for positive things, for, for being self-sufficient, for being productive, for mastering knowledge or skill in a particular area? How do you develop that thirst? You've got to figure out what is your bowl of dates that you need to put your finger in and then put it in the mouth of the child. And much of that comes through exposure because you don't really know what you're supposed to do until you're exposed to it. And once you're exposed to some things, bam, it starts opening up something in you in an incredible way. And I, I just wonder sometimes, I mean, what in the world would, would happen if we would awaken a thirst for truth, for righteousness, for respect, for decency, for honor? Can you imagine if we awakened a, a thirst for it? For people to respect themselves. And so we wouldn't have our teenage girls just getting on social media and putting degrading videos of themselves just to get likes by someone. If we create a thirst for carrying themselves with dignity and honor and living not for a moment to get attention, but living in such a way that that we can respect ourselves later and have our children to respect us and our grandchildren to respect us where we start thinking more long-term. How do we awaken that kind of thing? Because when you expose yourself to too much carnality, it will develop a thirst for carnal things. Whatever thirst is awakened in you is what you will end up pursuing. And so this is why we must be very careful as to what we allow ourselves to be exposed to. We can expose them very young to develop an appetite. Even just the kind of music that you listen to in your house is stirring up a thirst. It's stirring up a thirst. You know, I grew up, my dad listened to classical music. And so guess what I listened to? Classical music. He never told me to listen to classical music. Now my brothers were listening to R&B. But the bishop was listening to classical music. And I loved it, and I still love it to this day. And I turn it on voluntarily. Nobody makes me turn it on. I turn it on because I have a thirst. That's just who I am. But my daddy exposed me to it, a country boy. And he exposed me to classical music. And the appreciation and the love for it never left me. When I was in school, in college, and had to take music courses, I had to go to some symphonies. Did you know my daddy went with me? He didn't have to go. He went because a thirst was created in him. And one of the things that you can do is just expose them to it, sometimes in a very subconscious way. Just expose it. Just have it on. Just have it on. Just have it on. And uh, you'll be surprised that it will awaken something. 
The same way that pornography awakens something. Carnality awakens something. Sensual music awakens something. And some things need to stay asleep. It's amazing. Now, here's what I discover. The Bible says train up a child, develop a thirst, develop a thirst, develop a thirst by exposing them. Develop a thirst by giving them a taste of it. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Give them a taste of it. Give them, don't wait until they ask for it. Just give them a taste. Give them a taste. Cultivate their taste. Create the thirst for it so that they'll start gravitating, start really, really good things. You see, here's what the devil does. The devil tries to get us to forget what we ought to remember, and then he tries to get us to remember what we ought to forget. Isn't that, isn't that interesting how he works? Things that we're supposed to remember, he tries to get us to forget it. He wants you to forget who you are in Christ. He wants you to forget that you're born again. He's, he wants you to forget that you're supposed to be saved. He wants you to forget that you're a son or daughter of the, of the Most High God who walks with, with authority, who walks with love and honor. He wants you to forget your Christian values. But he wants you to remember who offended you. He wants you to remember the hurt, the abuse, the criticism, something negative that somebody did to you, somebody who cussed you out, somebody that flipped you off in traffic. He wants you to remember all of the negative stuff. Isn't that crazy how the devil works? I mean, he's, he's, a, he's shrewd. And so he wants you to remember what you ought to forget, and then he wants you to forget what you ought to remember. And so this is why there are certain things that we actually just need to go back to and remember, put yourself back in remembrance of the things that you know that you should do. It's not that we've never been taught it. It's just that we've forgotten it. We have not rehearsed it in, in, in such a long time that we, we end up losing the appetite for it. Because what you put before you is what you have the desire for. If you take it out of your view, you will lose the craving or the desire for it. So this is why you have to keep certain things in your view. Keep certain things in your view. Now, uh, let me give you uh, five rules here for relationship. Five rules of relationship. This is not a comprehensive or exhaustive list. These are just some things that just came out of, uh, out of my spirit. Uh, number one, be generous to the point uh, uh, to point out what your mate does right. You know, there's a saying that says that any fool can criticize and most do but be generous to point out what your mate does right have you ever noticed that if you do something wrong people are very quick to point it out and criticize you over what you did wrong but if you're doing something right rarely do they ever point that out and tell you you know what that was really well done thank you so much for doing this be generous to point out what your mate does right Point out what your friends do right. Be an encourager of the brethren. Don't just be the person who is trained to, to, with a negative mindset of always looking for what's wrong with the picture and what you did wrong. Celebrate what's right. Commend the person on what they did right. It really makes relationships better. And let me help you to understand this. Relationships are the currency of the kingdom of God. All of life works by relationships. All of life, it works by relationships. Relationships are the currency of life. A lot of times you don't need money when you have relationship. 
If you grew up in a community where you had a, your mama lived here, your aunt lived down here, your grandmama, you didn't have to worry about being hungry. Because people would just come in and they said, baby, you know, I don't know what it was. These folks in the country, they used to just keep food in the kitchen on the stove all the time. You just walk in, they had food on the stove cooked. You bust up in on some of these grandmamas nowadays. Good luck. I mean, my grandmother was, my grandmother, she was a cook. She, she had two and three meats. And all kind of vegetables and cornbread and frying whole cakes and stuff. I mean, she, she, she kept field peas. She, she had some stuff and dessert. And you don't roll, don't roll up on a grandma now because she's going to have to send you out to the store. Y'all going to have to go out and pick something up. It, it's a new day now. But be generous to point out what's Right. With people, be generous to point out with what your mate does right. Here's number two: be quick to ask for forgiveness when wrong, and grant it whenever um, your your mate is wrong. Be quick to ask for forgiveness whenever you're wrong, and then grant it to your your mate whenever they're wrong. You have to always be quick to forgive, quick to forgive, because forgiveness opens and restores relationship. Unforgiveness closes. So be quick to ask for forgiveness when wrong. You'll be surprised. You can lose a relationship just because you offended somebody and you didn't ask for forgiveness. You never cut what you have the power to untie. If you can untie and unravel the relationship, untie it. Never cut what you have the power to untie relationships are the currency of the kingdom of God. All of life works by relationship. Here's the third thing. Listen to your mate with your whole being. You listen with your whole body. You listen with your eyes. You listen with your ears. You listen with your posture, the way that you lean in. You, 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 you just listen. My grandmother was a real good listener. At one time, she, I mean, the way that she would listen and respond in a conversation, it was, it was, she was so dramatic that I taped it one time and it was hilarious. It was absolutely hilarious with the expressions that my grandmother, she was like, Oh my Lord, my grandmother just, she could just have people just pouring their whole guts out. You know, she knew how to edge a person on. My grandmother was a fantastic listener. She was an active listener. She listened with her posture, with her eyes. She listened with her eyebrows raised, you know, with, with great anticipation. I mean, it was just, it just, you just had to go on with the story. And she was so dramatic in, in her verbal response to the person as, as, as they, were, they, they were doing it. And when I taped that, it was, uh, it was a work of comedy. When we went back and listened to it, because she was so incredibly dramatic. But I'm like, if I'm telling a story, this is the kind of way that I'd want the audience to be. I want them to listen. You don't just listen with your ears. I hate to be talking to people, and then I don't know whether they're listening or not, and then they have to tell me, I'm listening. (laughs) No, no, no. Listen with your eyes. Listen with your eyes. There is nothing more that communicates to a person that they are valued than for you to give them the attention your undivided attention, your undivided attention. And listen, 
Every generation has struggled with this. I know that sometimes people get on millennials and, and Generation Z because they always have a digital uh, distraction in their hands and looking at the phone and going through that. But before that ever happened, fathers used to be sitting there in the house with the newspaper spread out. It, it just wasn't electronic, but it was a distraction nonetheless. They came home and they read their mail, and it's like, don't, don't say anything to me. Because you knew dad was reading his mail. You knew that he was reading the, the paper. And, and it, it was almost that way of blocking you out. They went into their own world. It just wasn't digital. So, but when, when you listen, you, you listen with your whole being. You give value to the person to whom you listen when you listen in an, uh, in an undivided uh, way. So whenever I take a person out to lunch, if my cell phone is, is going off, I don't stop to answer it because I'm focused in on that person. I want to value them, and I want to value the time, and I don't want there to be an interruption. I don't want there to be an interruption. I want to value that time that we are together. It's a, it's a human courtesy to say that I value you, and I'm not bringing someone else into this time slot that I have reserved for you, so I give you this time. Here's the, here's the fourth thing. Just do little things. Do little things. Just little things. It doesn't have to be gigantic. Little things, people can walk and be turned off from relationship because you don't do little things. Just little, little things. I mean, if you know that they like a certain things while you're in the grocery store, get that for them. Just little things. Uh, if they take a lunch every day, put a note in it. Just little things. Just call them even when you don't want anything. And just say, you know what, I was thinking about you. Little things. A psychologist suggests that people ought to kiss for six seconds every day. I don't know why six seconds. I don't know, I don't know whether it won't work if you do it for five, but six seconds. <laughs> A six-second kiss every day. <laughs> six seconds. Six seconds kiss every day. Six seconds kiss every day. Just just little thing. And, 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 uh, and I'd like to encourage you to do this. Do a two-hour date weekly. A two-hour date. A two-hour date is not sitting on the sofa watching a movie. It has to be interactive. You need to look into that person's eyes. They need to talk to you. You need to talk to them. You, 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 you spend give a, a two-hour date once a week, a two-hour date. Just do little things. Do little things. Because the way that most people spell love is T-I-M-E. The way children spell love is T-I-M-E. If you tell people that you love them and they never get any of your T-I-M-E, the way that you give yourself is through T-I-M-E. You give a part of you that you can never get back when you give somebody T-I-M-E. Your T-I-M-E is the most valuable thing that you possess. Not money because you can get more money, but you can't get more time. So when you give a person your time, that's why you should make it undivided because you cannot get any more. So share your time. Share your time. And here, number five, is pray together. Pray together. Now, this is, of course, not in the order of importance. Uh, but pray together. The family that prays together stays together. My dad inserted this, that the family that prays together and plays together stays together. You have to learn to be spiritual together, play together. I mean, pray together, but also play together. Now, listen, one of the reasons that we pray together is because prayer produces intimacy. You become intimate to whom you pray. You pray to God, you become intimate with God. You become intimate 
with whom you pray. You pray with a person, you build in intimacy with that person, and you become intimate for whom you pray. So when you are praying for people, you know, it's hard for you to talk about people that you're praying for because prayer produces intimacy. So if I'm praying for somebody, your heart becomes connected in that way. When you're praying for your children, you can't pray for your children and hate their guts at the same time. It's hard to pray for your spouse and hate their guts at the same time. Now, I'm not talking about praying, no, no, God, kill them, you know, take them, you know, no. But prayer produces intimacy. Prayer produces intimacy. But you know, one of the biggest complaints that I hear uh, about relationships in a home is that he or she doesn't listen to me. He doesn't listen. And let me uh, make you aware of this. Health is determined by how long it takes to discuss the problem. Health is determined by how long it takes to discuss the problem. Can you imagine... It's, it's, it's always very serious when people finally go to the doctor and then discover that they are in stage four cancer and it, it has metastasized. That doesn't happen overnight. It's because they've been sick a long time, but they've been ignoring it. They didn't want to have the conversation. They didn't want to think about it. They didn't want to talk about it. So they kept putting it off. But health is determined by how long it takes to discuss the problem in a relationship. Nobody wants to talk about it. Health is determined by how long it takes to discuss the problem. Don't carry things for for, uh, days and then weeks and then turn it into months and then turn it into years and you're just becoming more and more bitter. Health is determined by how long it takes to discuss the problem. And uh, this is true in business. If you don't discuss problems in your business, I mean, you're going to go belly up. In your marriage, in your family, and with your own physical health. So the earlier that you do that, the better. And the biggest deception about communication is the illusion that it has already occurred when it has not. And so I want you to realize listening is an art and a skill. It's an art and a skill. You can develop your listening ability. Listening improves every relationship. When you, sometimes people will develop an unhealthy attraction by talking to people that they shouldn't be intimate with because that person listens. And then all of a sudden now feelings are developing because listening always shows that a person cares. And if you think that you can't talk to a person, now you're, you're, you're destroying the very basis of relationship. Relationships are the essence of life, but communication is the basis of relationship. Communication is the basis of relationship. So listening is an art and a skill. And listen, I encourage you to do this. Listen to understand, not to reply. Listen to understand, not to reply. Some people are just listening so they can come back at you. Listen to understand where people are. The first step is always seek to understand before you seek to be understood. Seek to understand before you seek to be understood. So listen to understand, not to reply. And can I, can I give you another little a tidbit? The longer that you hold your temper, the better your response will be. The longer that you hold your temper, the better your response would be. 
You know people that are hot-tempered? They just say whatever is on their mind right at the moment without thinking. They don't process what they're saying, how it will make anybody feel. They just rattle it off. You make me sick. They just come right out with it. That was disgusting. They just, they're hot-tempered. They're hot-tempered, and they will say hurtful, damaging things right in that moment. But the longer that you're able to hold your temper, the better your response will be. The longer that you're able to hold your temper. I cannot tell you how many people uh, have destroyed relationship time and time again because they're too hot-tempered. And they have a carnage of wreckage of relationships that they have destroyed all down through the, through the years because they've just torn up this one, they've torn up that one, they've torn up the other one. And we have to have temperance. Temperance is a fruit of the Spirit. It's about self-control. It's about self-control, being able to cool yourself down. It takes, in order to give the right response, it takes two things, self-awareness and self-discipline. Self-awareness and self-discipline. And that helps you to be able to respond properly. So, in, in, the, in the home environment, listen to your spouse and then listen to your children. Listen to your spouse and listen to your children. Listening is a function of hospitality. Listening is a function of hospitality. I hate to go to a restaurant and, and I discover that the server doesn't listen well. Because there are things that they will bring you that you didn't ask for and things that you asked for that they didn't bring you because they're not listening well. They, are, they listen poorly and assume that they know what you want and then they deliver something to you. Anybody ever had that kind of experience where people who are supposed to be serving you, they, have, they made a mistake because they don't listen well. And you're saying, this is not what I ordered. I ordered this with no pickles. Or I order this with extra hot sauce or whatever it is. And if they don't listen well, they're not going to get the order right. And then somebody is going to be frustrated because they're like, I know I told you this. And you see, attitude determines how you hear. An attitude is a frame of mind. And if your attitude is poorly, you're going to hear things poorly. And you're going to read into things that's the stuff that the person didn't say. And it also, bad attitudes cause you to have selective hearing. Selective hearing. Selective hearing. But listening is a function of hospitality. And remember now that the real art of communication is not in our ability to speak. It is in our ability to listen. But people in your home, as well as people in the street, will always gravitate to those who listen. They will gravitate to people who listen. But I can't talk to my husband. I can't talk to my wife. And they're going to talk to somebody. Some little hussy is going (laughs) to offer up her ear. Oh, you poor thing. Oh, oh, she did. Oh, oh, I can't believe she. (laughs) Be very careful. But nothing more communicates to a person that they matter to you than for someone to listen to them. Now, when you are trying to engender good conversation from people, whether they're your spouse, whether it's your children in the home, learn how to phrase the intro to the conversation this way. Here's just some suggestions that I was saying. Tell me how, tell me how, and then let let them, tell me how it is that this happened. Tell me how it is that 
you came to this conclusion. And here's another one. Explain to me what you are feeling when. When you don't do your homework. When you spend all night on the internet and then I ask you to clean this up and explain to me how you're feeling when, when I tell you. I mean, did you not understand? It, just explain to me. And then let, go into listening mode. Not defensive mode, just go into listening mode. But explain to me what you're feeling when. And here's another way. Describe for me. These are open-ended kind of uh, uh, statements that really give them the capacity to be able to open themselves up in conversation. Because sometimes you can ask a question in a way that is accusatory. So, you know, that sometimes when people already know the answer to something, they will phrase a question to frame you. You have to be very careful. But you don't want your question to have accusation in it. Give them an opportunity to make their own statement without trying to frame them because they can become offended by the insinuation of your question. You know, so instead of, you know, somebody, somebody was, was killed and so you don't want to just come right out and ask them, well, where were you at 8.30 p.m.? <laughs> it's much better to say, describe for me the kind of evening. Tell me what kind of evening you had last night. Where did you go? Let me see what you, you, you see, there's a way to just give them an opportunity not, not to insinuate, not to accuse, because there can be questions that are terribly, terribly accusatory. You know, when my father got up in his seventies, we'd be driving uh, somewhere and uh, my father would ask the question, does anybody need to use the bathroom? Now, nobody needs to use the bathroom, but him. See, the question was not about anybody else. He was really making a statement saying, you know what? I need to use the bathroom. <laughs> and that was the way that he, he announced it. Now, I don't know why. You just can't just say, can you pull over at the next place so that I... Does anybody need to use the bathroom? <laughs> so my dad had a way of asking a question, but it was making a statement. Anybody know anybody like that? <laughs> <You know? laughs> Is anybody hungry? You know, <laughs> and it was this way of saying, you know, we've been driving too long now, you know, and we need to pull over. We need to eat. And so you can ask questions and, you, you know, in, in, in law, they, they would they'd have, they'd ask questions and they say, you're leading the witness. And see, that would be leading the witness. That would be leading, leading the witness. Now, let me give you some, some, some tips for parents. Raise your hand if you're a parent, if you're a parent. Oh, wow. Oh, good. No, this is good. Learn to use house cleaning as a therapy for cleansing your thoughts. Did you know that it is actually therapeutic to start doing house cleaning whenever your mind is frustrated? I don't, I don't know what it is about it. But psychologists have discovered that there's something about it that allows you to cleanse your thoughts. It serves as a mental purgative in some way. You can work through frustrating feelings, clouded feelings of confusion and frustration if you just load up the, the dishwasher or unload the dishwasher or folding clothes, just fold clothes or clean the bathroom or run the vacuum or sweep the floor. You will be surprised there's something about doing those kinds of tasks that actually cleanses the mind. I know some other people, they get frustrated, they start cleaning up. 
But they actually feel better because it helps them to work through things. I don't know why the physical act of it does something mentally and emotionally in helping them to work through some things. But they found that it can be tremendously therapeutic. And that way you actually kill two birds with one stone. So you ought to get some frustrated people and have a party at your house. <laughs> just say that while you're frustrated, would you mind just folding this up for me? You just... Unload my dishwasher and then load it back up for me, if you will. And you'll feel so much better, and so will I. So it can really be uh, therapeutic. Whenever you get emotionally stuck or mentally stuck, get moving physically. Get moving physically. I don't know what it is about that. Um, Psychologists have discovered that there's something um, that's called the doorway effect. That when you walk through a doorway, that it, it causes something in the brain to reset. That's why you, we, just, we thought that this was a plague of people getting older, where you walk out of one room and into another, and then you say, what did I come in here for? That, that, that's not old age. It's, they, they've observed this, and it's called the doorway effect. You Google it. It's called the doorway effect. They found that you just go through a threshold of, of a new door, and, and it's, like, it, it's like this is a new chapter, just, just walking through a new door. This is what I take from that, that every time you walk through the threshold of your house, whatever you dealt with at work, whatever you dealt with in the streets, whatever you dealt with at school, leave it there. Let the doorway affect. Jesus said, I am the door. When you walk through the door of your home, that ought to be your sanctuary. The polluted, toxic thoughts and emotions and anger and frustration. I meant whatever your crazy supervisor and boss did on the job, whatever those crazy employees did, your coworkers, leave that stuff out there. You have to have a cleansing ritual that when I go into this house, when I cross over this threshold, I'm not taking any of that drama with me and be lying in my bed awake. I'm, I'm, I'm going through this cleansing. And so sometimes you might need to go back out and come back in again. Say, let me know, do this again. You know, act two. Psst. And then go back out and come back in. There's just something about it. It resets something in the brain. And you can actually cleanse uh, certain thoughts and wipe certain things that are on your mind. You can wipe it out by this thing that they, have, they call the doorway effect. The doorway effect. Try it when you get home. Try it when you get home. But whatever it is that, that has been troubling you, bothering you, frustrating you, when you walk through that threshold, let the doorway effect start working on your behalf. And uh, I'd encourage you, those of you that have children, give your children a picture of a very special future for them. And uh, you help your children to blossom by expressing to them your love for them and your faith in them, your love for them, and your hope for them. Those three things. You know, you have to, if you don't have faith in your children, who will? Don't let somebody else in the street have faith in them. You have faith in the seed that God has given to you, that he's given you stewardship over. Have faith that they won't always be the way that they are. Have faith and express that faith to them. Express your love for them. Express, they need to know that they are loved unconditionally. And then they need to know that you have hope for them, not continuing to remain where they are. You've got hope for bigger and better things coming their way. And express that hope. 
Children and spouses, they need an expression of faith, love, and hope. Faith, love, and hope. Express, find your way of saying, you know what? I've got faith in you. You're going to make it through this. You're going to be able to succeed. I know you're frustrated on this. You know, and you have to tell them when they start going through trouble in their marriage, you, you can work through this. I've got faith that there's a champion on the inside of you. you. You're not a quitter. You can do this. They'll be going through an academic program. They get frustrated. and You have to speak faith into your children. You can finish this. And so you'll be surprised how, how, how much of a, a wonderful blessing that that can be. And uh, I've even seen, you know, when you have more than one child and, and you get ready to go out to eat, uh, you can't ever even agree on where you're going to eat. It, it starts an argument is about where you're going. I don't want to go over there. And, 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 you know, this idea came to me that you ought to just write down the names of some acceptable eating places for you and your family, cut them up on a little piece of paper, put them in a bowl, and when it's time to go, have somebody to reach in randomly and pull one out, and that's where you go. It's not that you picked it and I picked it, but it's, these are places that we all approve of. And, uh, and so you pull one this time, and, and that's, that's the one that, that will go, then we'll go for that one. I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you guys can bring some mics here uh, uh, before we go into some other things, just, just while we'll, I'm continuing, if you can just bring a couple of mics down here, and uh, we're going to allow a, so a few uh, Q&A. Now, I'm going to share some things here for my singles, my singles here. Um, before marrying somebody here, know the history of their decisions. Know the history of their decisions because people do stupid things. And they don't just change overnight. The history of the decision. I'm not just saying to judge people based on their past, but look at the history of their decision-making process and see whether or not they've ever changed and grown by the mistakes that they've made in their past. Learn something about the history of their decisions. I mean, if you, if you see a resume and they've had 20 different jobs within a five-year period, uh, that's an issue. And that, that speaks of some level of instability the history of their decision. Know something about that. Know whose voice they trust and respect. Know whose voice they trust and respect because when you deal with them, you're not just dealing with them, you're speaking, you're dealing with the voice that they trust and respect. So you, you, you may be dealing with their mama, their, their, their girlfriend, your, their cousin. You're dealing with somebody. It's, it's somebody else. Know whose voice they trust and respect. And number three, uh, their, their daily routine. Their daily routine. You need to know their daily routine. The secret of success is always found in the daily routine. If, if you want to know where you will be five years down the road, just look at your daily routine. Your daily routine will prophesy where you will be five years down the road. Because if you don't have anything in your daily routine that, that builds in growth and expanding your, your relational network, five years down the road, you'll be in the same place. Look at the daily routine. You know, uh, this is what I would say to, to, to every young man, whether single men, all oh, single men in the house. Oh, wow. Her, her clothes explain her goals. <laughs> I mean, we call it a fashion statement for a reason. Her clothes explain her goals. Her words explain her history. And her friends explain her taste. 
if you're not sure about a woman's taste, look, look at her friends. Look at her friends. <laughs> her clothes explain her goals. Her words explain her history. And her friends explain her tastes. 